Welcome back to Pray About Everything. Today is really special. I think I always say that. But today really is for two reasons. The first is that it is uh, the season finale. We've done 10 episodes. And so I think that's a good number to round out our time in this season uh, so that, you know, I can use this time <laughs> to refresh, to, you know, refresh my mental health, to get things in order for what's to come next in our second season. And so, yeah, this has been a lot of fun when I think about, you know, from the first episode talking about student mental health and uh, and then to now what we're going to talk about today, it's just so different, right? And a part of what makes it so different is that by, I think, the midway point, uh, I shifted some uh, on the podcast if you've been following. And, and if you have, thank you so much for your generosity of, of time, spending it with me, um, listening to the podcast. It does not go unappreciated. And so if you've been following, and even if you, you came, you know, came late to the party, it's okay. But the first episodes and, you know, were me praying about, you know, whatever the issue was. And somewhere in the midpoint, I decided that I wanted to talk to people because I really feel like, and you you, you may feel differently about this. And, and I encourage you to let me know, like email me, let me know <laughs> or leave a message on uh, Instagram or Facebook. But I really feel like I do my best when I'm talking to people. Like I, I think, I guess that's the whole, whole thing maybe of being a teacher. Like I really do enjoy listening to people's experiences and talking about their experiences and having their experiences influence me, having my experiences influence them. So I really, really do enjoy that feedback. And I like having, you know, a a robust, you know, rigorous conversation about whatever the topic. And so that's what having guests on here has meant for me. And so I want to thank You know, my very first guest, Montia Gardner, who just, oh my goodness, the, it was such a rich conversation about faith and profession. And so I encourage you, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to all of the episodes, but especially the ones with, with my guests, because they, there was so much wisdom poured out in each one that you're bound to, to, you know, walk away with so many gems Uh, from these conversations. And then I was favored to uh, have Yudoka Urumuku on, who shared her faith journey, uh, who's also a former student, who is just such a sweetheart and uh, so selfless in what she shared of herself. And next I spoke with Jasmine Johnson and Julia Berry, who really did... uh, a wonderful job of capturing uh, what, how distinctive sometimes our callings look in, in terms of what the Holy Spirit may actually be calling us into. 
And so that was really powerful. And after that, I was fortunate enough to be able to speak to Deidre Boykin about mental health in the church. My conversation with Deidre really helped me to understand some of the things that I, I, I see that I don't necessarily have the language or I don't have the, the knowledge to explain what, what it is I'm seeing. And she really, you know, really helped us to, to get that. She really helped us. She gave us the language for that. She gave us the information, you know, that we needed to verbalize what is happening, especially within the church, like when we're seeing certain uh, behaviors. And that was awesome. And then I had this spectacular guest, Geronda Burley, who broke marriage just all the way down. Like <laughs> the lessons, I, I titled that one Lessons Unlearned in Marriage. That was me. I, I, I titled that. Geronda uh, didn't title that. But I think that what we did you know, share in that conversation. For some, it will be life-changing. You know, maybe not for everybody, but for if you are considering marriage and considering partnering with someone uh, for a lifetime, I really do encourage you to listen to that. So it, it is not your, you know, average, everything's going to work out okay kind of marriage podcast. So I absolutely love speaking with each and every one of them. I love being here with you. And, but, you know, 2020 has been difficult. And I think that, you know, we need some time to rejuvenate and to think on, you know, reflect on what happened in 2020 and then also prepare for 2021. Everything in 2020 wasn't wasn't bad for me. I had some really uh, wonderful things come out of 2020. You know, this was one of them. The podcast was one of them. And it's something I could would have never predicted like this. You know, I certainly toyed around with the idea of a podcast, you know, before. But I, my, my direction or what I would have wanted to do with a podcast was different. And then the Lord was like, you know what? This is what you're really going to do with that. So, you know, you know, those are my plans, you know, what is it? It's like, you know, people plan, God laugh, something like that. So this was definitely a blessing out of 2020 amongst so many other blessings that came out of 2020. But, you know, let's be honest, 2020 has been very difficult And for the second reason this podcast is important today, uh, we are going to talk about, this podcast is dedicated to talking about COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus. And this is, I, I wanted this to be the podcast to kind of round the season out because we are, you know, we're moving into, we're in winter now, at least if you are um, on the East Coast, we're in winter and there are talks of, you know, this being a very difficult winter, uh, 
we're talking about vaccines and you know all of those things are kind of circulating we're not even sure if we're out of the first phase of covid and we're moving into the second phase of covid there's so many different things happening and i wanted to uh, have a conversation and, and invite uh, medical professionals to have this conversation so that um, that we, this our audience, pray about everything audience, you know, we, we get that, you know, we uh, get that information. I want to provide that information and so that we have a better understanding of what this looks like. And so I invited two doctors, two medical doctors to have this conversation. And I am so absolutely thrilled about their agreeing to do this. They were so um, willing and generous of their time. And uh, and I so, I'm so appreciative of what they sacrificed in order to, to make this happen today. And so when I think about this conversation, and and you'll hear, not only do they bring their expertise to the table and and help us to understand the virus on, you know, kind of very scientific, medical, in in that way, but they really also humanize just what being in a pandemic means, you know, uh, I asked them, you know, the question, you know, what is a pandemic? And, you know, one of the ways that they approached it, which was, I, I was thinking going in a whole different direction, but one of the, the comments, one of them commented, or they both really commented, that how it shifts and how it shifted their family, how it's made all of us, you know, rethink our family dynamic, which was different from say where I was going to take it but I was like yes exactly and so this conversation really humanized uh all of this for me and I think for you too so we so yes there are numbers yes numbers are going up yes there there are we're we're losing people people are or people are getting sick and and all of that right But then there's also something happening within our homes, within our relationships and our families that I think that uh, medical professionals, these medical professionals speak to just as well. They, you know, address it just as well. And so I want to welcome Dr. Celia Ezedegu, who is an MD in preventative medicine. uh, and And she's currently based in New Jersey. She attended Rutgers University Douglas College as an undergraduate where she received a bachelor's degree in psychology. She went on to attain her medical degree from Rutgers University Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. And from there she attended Meharry Medical College, yes, where she completed a public health and general preventative medicine residency. She is currently an associate director of pharmacovigilance at physician at Atsuka Pharmaceuticals. She works to ensure the safety of medication currently in the market. Understand that her position is so crucial right now, right? We're talking about vaccines right now 
And this is exactly what she's doing. Additionally, she also serves as a member of the Medical Advisory Committee to Atsuka COVID-19 Task Force and works collaboratively to ensure the safety of employees on a national scale. How absolutely timely. And then I'm speaking with Dr. Victor Ukwu, a graduate of Meharry Medical College School of Medicine, class of 2014, board eligible family medicine resident at Meharry Medical College, and in his final year of training, Dr. Ukwu uh, concentrates on men's health and community. He works uh, within the community with young people, uh, STEM education. He has served on multiple panels discussing uh, the future of STEM. He's a mentor and truly, truly knowledgeable about what we're going to talk about today. They both bring a wealth of knowledge to the table and they are married. (laughs) That's right. That's why, that's another reason why this is so special. They are both medical doctors and and both parents of two absolutely adorable sounding little ones, a one and three. Can you imagine being doctors, medical doctors with toddlers? Toddler, one and three, one and three. <laughs> and you'll hear them because they will be in the background. And that's a part of how my conversation with them and, and their contribution to pray about everything, you know, really humanize this conversation and shifts the conversation from, say, uh, quantitative information to qualitative reality and so I appreciate every single bit of their sacrifice they're sacrificing their family their family time and uh, their time to be parents and just to to do this to share with all of us uh, how we can do better in our understanding Uh, of how we kind of walk out trying to do better with COVID, but also giving us more information in terms of, you know, what to do, you know, in the future. And maybe even talk about some maybe mistakes we've made in the past and, you know, how we can kind of shift that. So I appreciate them and want to welcome them. So let's do that. Hi. 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 How are you? <laughs> I am great. I am great. I'm so glad we uh, could finally connect and and to have this very important conversation. Amen. Amen. We we really appreciate you inviting us and you know having us on your show. Yes. Thank you. And and I'm going to say this officially, Doctor Victor Ukwu mm-hmm. <laughs> and Doctor Celia Ezadegwu. Yes, yes, yes that's yeah, it. I did, really I did, good. I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you how much I've been practicing that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I am so honored to uh, have you both here to talk with me and to share your expertise 
on uh, COVID-19. And so let's just start at the beginning. So what is COVID-19 uh, and what does it mean to be in a pandemic? Wow, that's a right out the gate. A pretty, that's uh, right. Pretty, that's pretty right. Heavy question. So, <laughs> um, you know, COVID nineteen. We, you know, I think we're all pretty much familiar with it. But you know, from the physician standpoint, I think uh, the best way to explain it is it's essentially a, a virus, um, and it acts much in the same way as the flu. So, you know, most of us are pretty familiar with the flu because we, you know, shots and things like that every year. But it's a virus that really does a a great job, and I'm being a little facetious, but it does a great job with attacking mm. the lungs, attacking mm. your kidneys, attacking your heart, um, especially if you get a very, you know, virulent strain of it. Um, so it's pretty much a virus. So a lot of times when we as physicians um, think about the treatment process of it is uh, supportive care. So when we tell you supportive care, it's more like, we're not going to give you an antibiotic because antibiotics mm. don't work against viruses. Mm. So it's more like staying hydrated, the same things you would do for a flu or common cold, um, ibuprofen, uh, maybe Tylenol, anything like that for body aches and things of that nature. Now, if you get a very, you know, very strong, virulent strain of it, then, you know, that's when you start to talk about the shortness of breath. That's when you talk about um, uh, really severe lung problems. You have to go to the hospital, you know, for those type of things to get managed uh, more acutely. Mm. Um, and so that's basically what COVID-19 is. It's just a, it's, it's a new virus that's out there and we're doing our best to kind of, um, you know, work around it. Yeah. And I think um, another thing that's really important that people should know is that, you know, COVID-19 is a coronavirus, which is a type of a type, a strain of a, vi a type of virus um, particle that exists, and mm -hmm. it's been in existence for years. It's not necessarily new, but that's why when we refer to COVID nineteen as a novel coronavirus, it basically means that it's a newer type of virus, similar to how we see influenza strains mm. um, that have existed before. Like I know now we talk a lot about the Spanish flu. Mm -hmm. um, that was its own strain. And then strains of influenza that have existed since then may be different, although related because they're from the same family. So it's important that, you know, that's clear because I know at the top of the pandemic, um, we, because we don't typically refer to viruses and viral illnesses by their uh, name, with the exception of maybe like influenza, mm -hmm. Um, generally outside of like medical spaces, people thought that this was somewhat of like a hoax or mm. not real, or, you know, the jokes of comparing coronavirus to the Corona beer. <laughs> mm. um, it's important to know that this is something that's existed. And, and actually several uh, strains of coronavirus that have existed in the past can look like a common cold actually, mm -hmm. but with COVID-19, it's very specific. It's a specific new uh, new type of new type of coronavirus that we're seeing that just has a much a much stronger virulence and and uh, transmissibility is not as well known. It's known, but not not as well known as we've seen in other types of coronaviruses um, in the past. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, what was the second part of that question again? Oh, what yeah, what does it mean what? to be in a pandemic? So so you know, I just want to piggyback off my wife's uh, response before mm -hmm. I answer that mm -hmm. so the thing that's important to remember about specifically viruses right mm -hmm. is they do a great job 
when you, when you look at the the genome and the genetic you know parts of a virus of changing and morphing so that's why every year you know just to bring it back to things that we know something like the flu virus right mm -hmm. that's why we, we encourage people to get a flu shot every year is because the virus changes mm. constantly right it, it it gets into your body it changes the dna and then it incorporates the dna into itself and then you know so every every type of host it goes into or really, you know, essentially a host is a person. Mm -hmm. It gets new DNA and incorporates it into itself. And then, you know, it, it jumps back out into the environment and, you know, infects somebody else and incorporates new DNA. And then they put it out back into the environment and then they infect somebody else. So it's constantly like changing. That's why, you know, something like when HIV first came out, it was such a deadly thing and people couldn't figure it out because it constantly is morphing and changing so quickly and until you can really find um, a good vaccine or you know a medication that can kind of stop the replication process or affect the replication process mm -hmm. so you know it's that's why something like you know the coronavirus the novel coronavirus as mm -hmm. they call it is so it's been such a problem for us is because though it's a coronavirus and coronavirus is in everybody it's you know most people have it in their nasal passages so when you're talking about you know just the common cold more than likely it's an adenovirus coronavirus mm -hmm. or another virus right mm -hmm. but those are the common things that we that we typically see so it's just one of those things where it's new nobody's seen it before so we're not prepared for it it's probably replicating really fast and we haven't had an opportunity to catch up to it so that's why it's become such a, a big problem. And, you know, it's in it's the same way you treat really any virus. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, supportive care. And, you know, the mask is important because viruses get transmitted through through droplets or like, you know, if you if you talk too hard or too loud and you accidentally spit, you know, that's a droplet and it mm -hmm. gets into somebody or it gets onto a surface and you don't wash your hands and things like that. So, you know, that 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 goes along with sort of the, the treatment modalities. But you know, um, I just wanted to make sure I, I put that out there so mm -hmm. people really understand that, you know, it being a virus, a new virus that we haven't seen, you know, essentially it's been a common virus mm -hmm. that has just morphed into something else, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And kind of got stronger and it's just something we haven't seen yet. Um, but what does it mean to be in a pandemic Pandemic right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> well, you, you might hear some little people in the background it's right? okay uh, you know and but but you know it's it's part of the pandemic yeah. now right? yeah that's we're, right we're all in the space where working professionals uh mm -hmm. frontline workers people are forced to be into like new positions right like mm -hmm. you know you're so you're so used with the sort of day-to-day -day of taking your kids to daycare and you go to work pick them up and come home you know what i mean but now you're forced into you know, positions where you're trying to juggle, how am I going to actually be at home mm -hmm. and work at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Companies are trying to figure that out. You know, how, how do we sort of um, um, be mindful and be sensitive to people who are now having to be at home to take care of their kids, mm -hmm. but also, you know, manage them and, and remind them they still have a responsibility to the company yeah. right so you know you know and i'll let my wife speak on that because that's something that affects her directly but you know that's 
that's what it means to be in a pandemic right now. It's just, you know, holidays are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't greet people the same way you're used to. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. There's just there's so many restrictions now that it's not used to. And, and quite honestly, because we've been dealing with it all year, it's 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 just the norm. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, again, my yeah. wife can speak directly to that because she's a trooper and a beast. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. You know, the the. The term pandemic, right, even when you look at what exactly is going on, you start with an outbreak, mm-hmm. really. And, and, you know, all of the measures that we're talking about as far as preventing spread of disease um, and, you know, to the effect of what my husband was saying um, with regards to why people are home and why, mm-hmm. you know, we're taking all these very stringent precautions um, I'll talk a little bit about the work from home experience, but that really is centered around work from home and even virtual learning is centered around controlling and containment. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have what is, you know, out, an outbreak of some sort, of, of any sort, mm-hmm. you know, we, we when we think about the term outbreak, especially in the United States, mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, people think of the movie Contagion and stuff like that, but we have yes. outbreaks all the time of different things. You know, some are more, some kind of, some have a greater visibility just because of the um, the scope and maybe the the you know the mortality associated with some of them. For instance, like when you think of SARS mm-hmm. or Ebola virus, but there are more outbreaks that we see on a regular basis that, thankfully, the po- you know general population doesn't get to see. But we have some instances of like when you look at um, when you go to your local Costco or a grocery store and you see that lettuce, romaine lettuce is out. Mm-hmm. Right. That's because there's an outbreak of some sort with maybe salmonella or E. coli. And you've you found a group of um, investigators, oftentimes epidemiologists who are looking around, who, who are becoming aware of um, of, a, of a disease process that's happening in the environment. And that's a small way of looking at it. But now when you have outbreaks of maybe like dengue fever or West Nile virus or even measles, like we saw in California a few years back and as it cropped up across um, the country. Mm-hmm. These are pockets of outbreaks. And when these outbreaks continue to happen and then they cross over and over and over different boundaries to the point that you have a wider scope of what's going on, you now get to the place of having a pandemic. You've now surpassed the space of an epidemic and now you're looking at a pandemic. And that's what we're seeing when, you know, last year, when last year um, this this kind of flu-like illness mm-hmm. was, was cropping up in different parts of the of the world, specifically Asia. You know, that was an over there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then it was happening in Europe and that, that was an over there kind of thing. And then as you have these outbreaks becoming epidemics and now spreading, then you now have this pandemic that's now affecting virtually every space where people exist. That's, you know, to take it beyond just the space of living in the pandemic, that's literally what we're looking at. We're looking at an uncontained outbreak, which we have tons of all the time, even in your school. Like yes. if you look at your school or, or your, your, uh, your work setting, there are outbreaks all the time of some kind of diarrheal episode. All it takes is a company party and somebody eats the wrong <laughs> yes. potato salad. There's an outbreak of some sort of you know pathogen that caused that that people will now have this kind of like viral diarrheal illness and you know people you won't necessarily think of it you just oh i had a case of of food poisoning you're just that one person several other people may have experienced that and you may not be aware of that several people that night may have encountered that or even that week depending on the i'm so sorry my son is crying depending on what happens 
Um, give us one second. No, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he just wanted a little bit of TLC. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is okay. You know. Yeah, it's uh, that's one thing, not to digress, but that's one thing um, in the space of the pandemic that we're living in right now, um, to the point that we made earlier about working from home, I've learned and I'm learning to just become more flexible with um, my roles, the duality of, of who I am. You know, mm-hmm. we it's very easy to silo mm-hmm. your person, yes. you know, pre-pandemic. And at work, I am this woman at home yes. all that goes away they don't care about my degrees or my titles or my outfit no. i'm mommy anything any and every body fluid is 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 okay any and every cry is okay so i um i say that because i myself i, I work in um i work in pharma mm-hmm. i am an associate director at Oaksica pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. and and such i do drug safety so i work with popu- in population settings population health settings and I'm now working from home and the kids being home from time to time. It's great because I get to spend time with them and the mom guilt Mm. of being in corporate, you know, corporate America and still trying to be a health professional Mm. and hold it down Mm -hmm. and, you know, coming up late and all that. I don't feel that as much, but it's being able to kind of turn a be flexible within ourselves. And then of course, hoping that the groups and companies we work for are flexible as well. So as I digress for my son's tears, um, <laughs> the idea of the pandemic is one that, um, you know, we're, it's, it's become such a part of the verb, you know, the verbiage that we use now. And it's, it's, it's almost a joke when you say it, but the, the significance of what that means, it really, it literally means an uncontained outbreak. Yeah. And, you know, the examples of the outbreaks that we experience on a routine basis that don't kill us mm-hmm. um, or that we just kind of live with imagine that being widespread like imagine mm. imagine the perils of foods of, of food poisoning mm. we've all experienced food poisoning imagine that not stopping <laughs> like, yeah. that's horrible that's horrible and imagine that going beyond you and imagine the people who may have increased um you know comorbidities that probably shouldn't mm. have excessive episodes of diarrheal illness mm. imagine children or people that have like you know, gastrointestinal disorders, how would that impact them? Mm. So you take something like a coronavirus, which like people said in the beginning, oh, it's just a little flu or it's no big deal and public health, schmublic health, you know, kind of attitude. Then you have this thing that should have really been contained within itself and, and really knowing who the people that are most affected, have we kind of kept things at a, you know, snapped things at the, at the onset we wouldn't be mm-hmm. here. And it's the same way when there is a small, an outbreak of measles. People generally speaking may not have as great concern because one, you may have already vaccinated your kids or yourself, right? And then two, what's the likelihood that that's actually going to get to yeah. you? Because you're anticipating that the system around you, the system that you exist in are doing the, the appropriate measures to prevent this pockets of an outbreak from becoming something bigger. And unfortunately, we're in a space where that hasn't happened. And so therefore, we're in this pandemic. Yeah. 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 And I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I um, was going to say, and, and you all have, you're, you're definitely um, sharing, in, you know, really insignificant and important information. As you were speaking earlier, both of you, and in my head, as you're describing, like, you know, this virus all I could see was like every 
horror movie that had a virus <laughs> that I was just like, oh yeah. my God, what are we going to do? We're, we're... And that's <laughs> what we're living in though. That's literally, <laughs> that's literally like a nightmare movie. Yeah, I'm like, okay, uh, wait. And, and, and so what's interesting to me, you know, as you, as you describe, you know, a pandemic and how was it able to, I, like you, you mentioned, it, it be, may have been gone in Asia and then Europe, and now it's here. How was it that no medical, I guess, professionals were able to get a, a handle on it um, more quickly to alert the rest of the world? Like, what do you think? What happened? What was the breakdown? So I think, you know, um, so, you know, one of the, one of the big things, uh, and it's hard to speak for any other country mm-hmm. because... Honestly, every other country it seems has done a great job with containing it than us. Besides us, we have we're I think we might have the highest rate, you know, death rates going at this mm-hmm. point in the game, um, and, which you wouldn't you really wouldn't think that would happen in no. America, right? Because we've had the the greatest economy, we've had the greatest healthcare, so we've had the greatest everything, right? I mean, you know, one problem I think that happened was you know, a breakdown with the leadership. I just think that once this thing became a more so political issue, I think, you know, a lot of things kind of fell through the cracks, if you will. It's just, um, you know, and and, and I don't, I'm not a person to turn every conversation into politics Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you know, because that's too sensitive, Mm -hmm. you know, of of a topic and and it's too polarized at this point in the game to really sit down and talk politics, mm-hmm. you know, like you, like you might've been able to in the past, but, you know, I, I really think that once this became a political issue, now it really became harder to contain because you just, you ended up really having to choose a side. Mm. Is this virus real or is this virus mm. fake? Not really, you know, whereas my wife was talking before is other outbreaks, if you have it, right. You trust the scientists, the CDC, the public health professionals mm-hmm. in what they suggest in containing it. We don't, people don't question that. Like, how can I, you know, if I work in retail or something like that, how do I question what, how to control an outbreak of a virus that's going through the entire department? Like, how can I say that, oh, that that's not real if four or five and six people have mm-hmm. caught it, mm-hmm. right? Like and and then the suggestion is to do X, Y, and Z to contain it. You know, for me, it's like I, I think that um, I don't really know where the breakdown happened. Um, you know, everybody wants to you know, have a place to sort of you know play, have a a thing or a person to place their blame. But I think you know overall, it just became. I just really feel once it became a political issue. It, it made it more difficult to contain, you know, what otherwise might have been, you know, pretty manageable. Like, you know, death rates are going up and, okay, so let's do X, Y, and Z and control it and then, you know, give us time to figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, what's the next step after that? But, you know, once people just went out there and started to do their own thing, disregarding health measures and things like that, you know, now now you have gatherings of 
you know, hundreds and, you know, thousands of people. And, and the thing about a virus is you might have it and not show mm-hmm. symptoms, right? So now you can be asymptomatic and just be giving it to any and everybody. But it only, we only know that uh, you may have been the source because a person 10 people removed from you is symptomatic and we were able to trace it back mm-hmm. to you. You know, but but at that point, it's you've infected. I don't even know how many people now. So, um, you know, I, I just think my personal opinion, I feel like once it became politicized, it made it more difficult to manage here in the States. Um, I don't know how, yeah. you know, my lady feels. Uh, yeah, I, com- I completely agree. So it's one of those things where when you think of the, the fact that there's so much breakdown occurred even beyond the, uh, the the politicization of it for sure. But beyond that, when you think about the, the systems that are in place that are intended to protect, that are really intended to protect mm-hmm. the people, that's, that's a lot of where this starts. You know, when you have, when you're defunding the CDC, when you are, you know, in a way, questioning you're questioning the integrity of the organizations, when, you know, everything becomes, um, everything is up for debate, but, but the leader, that's when there's a big concern. And, and even too, another, another real part of what's happening is that um, people, we haven't really experienced anything like this since truly since 1918. Mm-hmm. I know the last memorable thing that we can refer to is the HIV, HIV you know, the, the, the onset of mm-hmm. HIV in the United mm-hmm. States, right? Just because there was so much that we didn't know how, who, what mm-hmm. is HIV? <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you even contract it? You know, people dying of a disease, people dying of probably what was HIV, but didn't necessarily know that because we didn't know risk factors. We didn't know transmissibility, mm-hmm. we didn't know anything. And then you come, you bring it further in and then you start to have more pe- people kind of getting behind people people being less um less inclined to point the finger you know at one another less 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 willing to stigmatize the disease as well as people living with the disease even though it still exists now but hiv now is a disease is now considered really mm-hmm. a chronic illness it's yeah, it's, it's not disease, really a yeah. disease that will kill you it's not necessarily a death mm-hmm. sentence is is really the truth of that with with coronavirus when you start with the system necessary being broken when you start by taking away the uh taking away the resources that people need to do their job effectively and then you add on top of that the um just this very frayed very 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 frayed existence of people in general where we're not really living in harmony um and that creates a firestorm where you can use this as a reason to pit people against one another um and then even on top of that when you look at the other parts of public health, because that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about right now when we think about COVID-19, mm-hmm. right? Another significant risk factor in public health is race, yeah. racism. The AMA recently identified and, and put out a public statement, you know, listing racism as a risk, yes. as, as an adverse, you know, as a risk yes. Like when you see that, that's, Fauci did. A, Fauci was excellent in actually bringing this to the forefront in April, I believe. I remember watching him actually address what we've all known, like what, especially people of color, are very aware of this, and even people that are just 
aware in in the healthcare mm-hmm. system. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, this is actually a part of what is killing black people. It's not black people and black and brown people are not inherently sick. It is it is the factors that have existed around that have made that the case. And I bring that up because we can have another whole lengthy conversation about social mm-hmm. determinants of health, but I'm referring really more so to the issues affecting um, the, civil, the current civil rights movement that we're living in right now. I never would have thought that I would have been in the, alive to experience. Yes. There, there are difference between civil rights efforts, right? Which we do all the time, which have, which have been going on, right? Justice and activism, but this is literally a civil rights movement that goes even beyond the United States. I'm referring to the fact that in the space of this pandemic, you have people, people continuing to exacerbate the issues that are existing um, for black and brown people, United States, specifically black people, men and women. And in that setting, people are so disgruntled that we are throwing away literally like your life is at risk from COVID-19, but your life is also at risk from the issues and the systemic problems that are happening in the United States if you happen to mm-hmm. be a Black person. So when you consider that and you think about the fact that when you see, when you think about George Floyd and, and, the, and the countless other Black men and women who have died from just in, 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 unjust and inhumane ways that we can actually visualize, let's speak of the cases that we haven't seen, you have a completely perfect firestorm for an already at-risk group being even placed more at yeah. risk. Because people now come out to defend their right, to defend their right as American citizens to organize and to protest peacefully at that, the issues that are happening. Now, I believe that it is as American citizens, as citizens of the United States, we have the right to organize and make our points known. And that is actually a fundamental part of the origins Mm -hmm. of this country, right? But in in the space of being outside, and being outside and coming together as you've had to, you have more cases. You have more cases. And then you have people allying yes. with us that are not, it's not only black people that That's are outside right. too. It's not, it's, it, you have, we have significant allies in this movement too. And then when more people become aware of what's going on, other spaces, like when you, when you think about what's going on in the LGBT community, that, that's so many other underrepresented people who have faced brutality have come into this conversation and they're also outside in the middle Mm -hmm. of a pandemic mask on mask off mask down under the nose they're outside together because they're fighting for their lives so i say all that to say that it's a system breakdown that has occurred starting with the, the the institutional the institutions that we exist in the institution of civic justice or the injustice that people of color live in here has created um, not just the health imp- health imp- health impacts that have increased the risk but also the social set the social space that we exist in yeah. has now created another situation that has increased our risk then you talk about what's happening to everyone which is the governmental breakdown and, and lack of efficient response when when our leaders the leaders of this nation knew at least a month in advance of actually letting the, the citizens know because they wanted to quote unquote protect us. What kind of protect? What kind of protection? Yeah. Like it's like you're in a bad relationship. I didn't want to tell you. I wanted to. I was protecting. Yeah. For what? I, I like that. 
Yeah, you know, like that's you're not protecting yes. anyone. You're increasing the risk in a space where there's already enough. There are already enough uh, fissures that are just waiting to crack. So, you know, to to really answer the question of how, that's I think it's multi pronged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there really isn't one specific thing that we can target. I the overarching theme I think is just a lack of solid infrastructure and a, and and really a good safety net. For people, if you if you don't if you are already living in circumstances that increase your risk of chronic illness in general, and one of the biggest risk factors for contracting not for contracting for having a um, mm-hmm. worse outcome, we're all at risk of contracting the virus. We're having a worse outcome. Are these settings? Are these conditions? And you happen to be a person of color, <laughs> you're at increased risk of that. Oh, also too, we have this. Um, civil rights movement that's happening (laughs) and if you don't come out to speak we're gonna say it never happened if you don't stand up nothing will change it's 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 its own it's its own conundrum but it's one that um speaks to where we are as a nation and also speaks to the numbers that we're seeing and how it's impacting and i think that what you just said certainly touches on you know uh, one of the things that i i wanted us to talk about and i want you to share um you know, to share more about, you know, what is happening within African-American communities and COVID and, um, you know, why is this, uh, and, and I think you kind of answered it, like why it's uh, happening within Black communities. Uh, it's hitting us harder than, say, other communities uh, it, with the increased other issues surrounding public health, the things that were already on the table. Um, and and so yeah. then we would be more susceptible. Uh, I, I know. What do you think about uh, the shift in the conversation? That once it became, I guess, clear that African American communities were being impacted uh, at higher rates. Do you think there was a shift in the con- the the wider conversation about yeah. how we were going to address it, whether or not the nation would address it, or how? Uh, you know, how rigorous we would, you know, kind of come at it. Do you think there was a shift? I think that there, to be honest with you, I don't believe that there was a shift mm-hmm. away from rigor mm-hmm. per se. I, I, I think that because of the wide scale impacts that this has, I don't think that there's a shift away. What I think is that the narrative of the peoples that are most impacted are not mm. at the forefront and that's what that's what has been shift and that's you know unfortunately it's par for the course like that's that's a part of what makes this experience of being uh, black in America real oftentimes we are not um our issues are not yeah our issues are not necessarily brought to the front and then the invisible majority is mm-hmm. what's spoken of and when I refer to the invisible majority like I would be referred to as African American, specifically Nigerian American, but a white man is a white man, right? And there's that's the structure of this nation is such that the invisible majority is there. Anything counter to that is what is what is referenced, right? So when you when you not to digress, but when you think of it that way, when it's happening to the overall majority, us included, when it's happening to everybody, then the conversation is, is fine and fair. But it's important, I, I believe, for 
for us to continue to address the spaces where we exist and have those conversations, frankly. Like, when we talk about how is this impacting Black people, yes, social determinants of health, chronic illness. And, and when we talk about chronic illnesses, we're talking about mm-hmm. diabetes, high blood pressure, hypertension. We're talking COPD, about COPD. OBCD. We're talking about obesity. We're talking about liver disease, kidney disease, mm-hmm. people on dialysis. We're talking about people that also live with um, immune conditions. So there are certain immune conditions that impact us mm-hmm. more, like sarcoidosis. There are also conditions like sickle cell disease, which is listed specifically on the CDC website as, in, as a, as a um, condition that can increase your risk, right? And even like my husband just mentioned, asthma. So other respiratory illnesses. And, and if you think about where these are happening, you know, they're happening in, in places where people of color live. Another mm-hmm. significant risk factor, multi-generational mm. homes. Um, it's a great space to be in culturally when you have everyone together, but that does increase the risk significantly. Also smaller home dwellings and tighter spaces, which, you know, happens to be, especially, I can't speak for other places where Black people um, live in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. In urban mm-hmm. settings where we live, live in, in dwellings mm-hmm. that are just tighter. So you you can have, for lack of better words, yeah. an outbreak <laughs> um, in a building where people live. That's how you see things happening in nursing homes, because people are living in tighter dwellings um, in those spaces. And then also, too, a big thing that we talk about. See, my husband and I are both physicians mm-hmm. and we're both Black. But when we talk about first responders and people yes. who are essential, we think the, 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 the picture that's put out there are the the doctors and the nurses yes. and the doctors <laughs> and the firefighters, you know, but the real is the essential people are the people that we, that like, if you have mm-hmm. been quarantined and you have to go out, who is out there? Yep. People at the gas stations, right? In Jersey, our gas is pumped for us. So you have people to turn direct communication with. Rather, these are workers, rather, that are coming directly up to your car mm. to transact with you. People at the grocery store, people at anything that has remained open, people that are picking up mm. the dead bodies from, from the morgue, people that are cleaning up after the bodies have been removed, people that are not even given the PPE first, mm. you know, in some of these spaces, daycare workers. Because so, in New Jersey, I, I don't know what's happening mm-hmm. in Baltimore, but in New Jersey, the daycare stayed open for essential workers. So now if you think about people that are working on the front line, right? These are people that are going to be otherwise exposed to COVID. Their children, yes. therefore, may be exposed. And now you're bringing them yeah. in to, with, to daycare with other people that are working in there yes. who are also minorities, yes. too. Not all of them, but it's these are part of the things that make it just... No, t- I, mean, I agree. I, I, there, are, there were schools certain schools that would open up or did open up for children, the children of essential workers um, because the parents were essential. They had to go to work. And, uh, but of course, right, those children entering those spaces, now they're around teachers and administrators. And so it, yeah. it's, it, it, it really is a layered uh, and complex issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think you know, my wife basically touched on everything when it comes to that. It's just really when when you're thinking about um, the impacts on you know marginalized peoples, mm-hmm. like 
like she said, we're the ones who are frontline workers. So even 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 down to just not just, you know, black people, but think about like Hispanics, you know, you know, there's that stereotype that, you know, they have, for you know, multi-generational homes, things like that. Right. But there's there's, there's, there's congestion. And it's the same way we live when we talk about people mm-hmm. like in the hood, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's there's congestion. You just have, and you can't get away from it. You know, there's just really no escaping it. And then when you're in that position, you're as a frontline worker, you are the person who works in the grocery store. You are the person who clean, you know, environmental services mm-hmm. in the hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. You are that, you know, so now you have these, these big businessmen flying in and out. You have, you know, they're living their lives freely and you're coming in contact with them trying to protect yourself. But now you have been exposed unknowingly and you're taking it back mm-hmm. to a congested mm-hmm. community. Exactly. Where, you know, not only when you're talking about things like, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, social determinants of health, you know, forget about the access to care and things like that and chronic uh, medical conditions. Now you're talking about you're, you're going to spaces where poor air quality. Right. So how, how does the air quality actually affect the transmission of viruses and, and things like that? You know, when you're in, in, in tight quarters, poor air congestion, poor air conditions, the virus is more likely to kind of hang out on, you know, bigger air particles. Yes. Right. You're living in a space where you're living in a space where it's, um, you know, they're trying to gentrify your community, right? They're, they're, they're tearing down project buildings and trying to throw up new high rises and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's breaking down your air quality, affecting your lungs, affecting the way the virus is now transmis- transmitted more easily in your community. Oh, yeah. Things like that, you know, are like, you know, separate topics that we don't even really talk about um, when it comes to things and how this virus is just, you know, affecting marginalized people more so than anyone else. Um, you know, as you said, that, this, that that's a whole conversation. I think we spend we spend time here in the house, just you know, going back and forth with each other about these type of you know, discussions and things like that. But you know, it's just really remembering, you know, for for people like us, it's just you know, of course, we're going to be placed in more high risk positions just because that's the history of what it is for us and we're, we're not going to be in the forefront you know in general and the, the stories that are out there when even when you're talking about healthcare workers you're not essentially you're not really looking at you know who is essential being who's the person in the hospital cleaning up and taking or watching mm-hmm. taking care of the doctors right mm-hmm. even nurses right you're talking about the, the nurses are getting more exposed than doctors and then you know these these type of things are being glorified and you're forgetting about the other people that uh, the rest of the people on the team that go into um, taking care of uh, people. Affected that is, um, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And let me say that you two are like incredibly smart and brilliant and you're saying incredible things. And your child doing the ABCs behind has outshined you. So I don't care what it is that you said. Uh. Everybody <laughs> listening will be like, oh, that baby. And now, mind you, I was told that their babies are two and three. Is, is that correct? And so. Yeah. Uh, one, one, and three. one and three. One and three. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be three. He'll be two so, in January. He'll be two one in and January. three. And seeing that, you know what? Y'all doing all right over there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So, so 
So I'm like, anything that we're talking about is like, whatever. We just want to hear the babies. So, <laughs> so, and then I wanted to shift gears a little bit and uh, and talk about, you know, if you can shed any light on, I we, like you mentioned, I live in Baltimore and it, we're seeing an uptick happening in Maryland in general. And um, I, I don't know about where you live, but I know that when I travel around Baltimore and when we talk about congestion and these kind of tight, you know, urban spaces in particular, right? And I live in the city that there is, um, there seems to be a segment of the population that, you know, they, they may have a mask, but they are resisting wearing it properly or they resist it altogether. And, and they're, they tend to like to hang out in, in, in large groups together. So it, it's no, it's not surprising that Baltimore, that we're seeing an uptick in Baltimore uh, or Maryland in general, but can you shed any more light on maybe some of your findings, uh, especially uh, uh, Celia with preventative medicine and, and some of the research you do? Yeah, actually. So, you know, speaking of Baltimore, uh, Baltimore County specifically has, mm-hmm. like, I think the third highest um, rates, the third highest cases, I should say, of um, of, of uh, COVID-19 coming in, coming after only, coming in after uh, Pr- mm-hmm. Prince George's mm-hmm. and Montgomery County. And that's really important to think about because a lot of people live in Baltimore and and when you're when you're worried about what's going on there sometimes when people feel a level of familiarity within their community within themselves there's a tendency to feel mm-hmm. um apathy mm-hmm. truly like I, I think so it's, it's the same way if you haven't if you've been quarantining for a while and you this is a scary thing for me when you're quarantining for a while and you finally see people yeah. you haven't seen for however long, of course, doing the right thing, which is making sure everyone's social bubbles yes. have been clean <laughs> or have been quarantined themselves, there's a tendency yes. to let your guard down. And it's it's fine and it's fair to do so, like I said, in the cases where you have quarantined yourself, where the people you're encountering have also quarantined and have also been within, I call them like social bubbles. On the same social bubble and you're intermixing two healthy social bubbles and keeping the numbers contained. Now, when you live in spaces where you may not have the luxury of effectively quarantining um, because stepping out, there isn't really an outside to step into that's your own. Um, when you have to go to work often or you have to, you have to get out to go to the grocery store to, whichever, to any place that you have to frequent you're not necessarily getting in your own car. You're probably getting on public transportation mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Well, taking an Uber or even when you get to, even if you're driving, when you get to said location, there really isn't a lot of opportunity in those spaces to socially distance. You increase your risk. And then people feel sometimes the sense of familiarity in their communities that can make you feel safe when you really shouldn't because you're not, your community, your, your, your social community is mm-hmm. not your, your physical community. It's not. Mm-hmm. And people make that mistake often. Your social community are the people with, with whom you may be close to. Your social community, if it happens to be the people on your block, the people in your space, and you happen to know a lot of them, who are their social community members? Yes. You don't know who they are. So because of that, it's increasing your risk. And, and 
you know, the unfortunate thing is that there isn't for people that are not necessarily able to work from home, for people that are not necessarily able to be in their houses. And also, mm-hmm. so let's talk about mental health, right? For people for, with whom they are not mm-hmm. able to mm-hmm. stay by themselves. And that's real. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that being aware of your, who you are as a person, for people that are more social, they need to have interaction constantly, physically. Um, and, and that's just a part of the makeup. Or maybe they make it feels better to not think about the pandemic and the gravity of Mm -hmm. what we're living through Mm -hmm. right now. So you're out and you're about, and you're taking caution to the wind. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of what's going on Mm -hmm. in certain spaces where people are trying to just, just survive to the next day. You know, I think that that plays a significant role there. And I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of, of being entirely forgotten. I know we thought, I know we mentioned that, um, you know, the people, the idea that this is not necessarily being mm-hmm. discussed as much, the, mm-hmm. how it impacts our communities. But the, the truth is that these cities are recording what's happening there. Baltimore is recording Baltimore uh, County as well as Baltimore city are tracking positivity rates and cases. The same thing can be said about Philadelphia and also Newark, New Jersey. Like these are, we are capturing what's happening. What's happening is not necessarily reflective of people being ignorant. Yeah, there is a degree of ignorance. There is, I'm not gonna deny that, but it's also not capturing the spaces and the conditions that people have to live under and why certain numbers are getting higher there. Yes, we have to, we, we must be accountable as far as knowledge and being able to intelligently quarantine. What does it mean to quarantine? Knowing what that means, knowing the time frame that you have to be under quarantine, you know, knowing how to protect yourself, right? But if you're in a space, if you're in, if you're in a suburban, if you are in a suburban grocery store, and I can speak to this because I've experienced <laughs> both the Costco in my community and then going like 10 minutes down the road to Trenton to another local big grocery store that services a lot of people because it's a it's an international food market you don't see the same level of of um, security measures that are given Costco is spraying is literally spraying their shopping carts is sequestering their shopping carts right keeping them Yes, has the Clorox wipes yeah. that you can't find in the store. Costco has them lined up in different corners that you can pick up and wipe. If you if, if the spray that was sprayed did not suffice per your standards, you can always pick up another, you know, Clorox wipe that they have. And this is good. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But you go down the road mm-hmm. to Trenton, New Jersey, right? And in those grocery stores, there's not that same level of stringency. There isn't the idea of, they're not, they're not markers to tell you stand here stand there people are there because they have to be Mm -hmm. you have to buy food you know you must buy food who is does does this grocer even have the money to do those some some of those same precautions that we see in a costco Mm. we don't know Mm. that you know yeah one one thing that's interesting about sort of like you know we're talking about rates Mm -hmm. and cities and stuff like that so you know she's much more of an epidemiologist than i am but you know you, you could think about like you know what's included in Baltimore County versus Baltimore mm-hmm. City. Right? Yeah. yeah. Now you, within Baltimore County, you kind of get the you, you get a different picture of what's actually going on because then you have surrounding suburbs, right? That may have lower rates or, you know, whatever it is, as opposed to if you just look at Baltimore <clears throat> City. 
right? Where, where it's highly congested, you know? And I say that because like, there's this, and then even when you take it back towards like, you know, maybe why um, cities or places of higher congestion might have this sort of, you know, these skewed numbers, you know, I look at it sometimes like when you're in the suburbs, right? There's this just greater sense of security. Like things mm-hmm. just don't happen in mm-hmm. the suburbs, right? They, you know, there's no crime <laughs> in the suburbs. There's just the air is better, things like that, right? So there's this, there's more. You're a lot more lax, right? So when you're when you're gathering, when you're having, you know, small gatherings and air quotes, you know, you might have 25, 20 people, 25 people of your close friends that are all from the birds and you feel like, Oh, well, we're out here. We're, we've all been, you know, distancing and we go to the stores where the, the, you know, the, the little mm-hmm. things are on the floor to let you know what six feet, you know, we, we've been participating, you know what I mean? But it's, it's really those, those communities are the ones mm-hmm. that are, that are actually having these outbreaks outbreaks. It's not necessarily that the outbreak is happening in like Baltimore City, like you know, the rates are there for Baltimore City, mm-hmm. and we know why because of congestion and other things, right? But the outbreaks are happening in yes. the colleges, right? With the young kids coming, coming, going, you know, partying and being out with no mask because they're young, and you know, they feel like oh, we don't get corona and and all these things. Boom, yes. outbreak. And now you have an outbreak in these small communities, and a lot of times these these small communities are the ones. I look at it when I when I think about Baltimore that 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 dichotomy right. You have the Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. sort of section, real nice, real, and then you can literally go like yes. down the street, just like she was saying, and you you right back in the hood now. So, but but people who are maybe at working at Johns Hopkins who live in the suburbs, et cetera, et cetera, I have to come into Hopkins, and then the, they're now dealing with people in this community in Baltimore City community. They have contact, and then now they're taking that into their community mm-hmm. of high congestion. You know what I mean? And you know, but there's this there's this sense that you know because I'm in the burbs, I'm a little more. You know, these things just don't happen to us as much. You know, I, I can be a little more lax. I don't. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily. And they, and I'll and I'll kind of you know uh, further this point because I just finished my residency mm-hmm. training in Tennessee. Congratulations. So. <laughs> I really I appreciate that, but it's it's the life and the view and how people move in the space of a pandemic in Tennessee is the polar mm. opposite of New Jersey. It, here in New Jersey, you literally cannot don't even don't even put your yeah. hand to your face or something, and people will freak out at you. Whereas I'm coming from Tennessee, and I can go to Target, and you may or may not have a wow. Mask. It's, it's up to you. It's it's up to you now to kind of figure out. Wow. Yeah, I'm dead serious. You know, they may not, they may stop you, they may not what? stop. Right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you can do that. You know, there's this, the nightlife, just people out and about are more, more free. They, you know, there's this, this idea of this is my right. I don't, I'm good. It's nothing. I don't need to worry about you. I don't want to wear it. Right? There's just more of that in Tennessee than there is when I came up here to New Jersey. And, you know, and, and that's just to my point that you go to these spaces where 
you know, you, you can feel a little more free, you know, maybe, like I said, the birds is just the air. There's more space out here to feel like, you know, we can be outside, you know, I can have 20 and 25 people, Mm -hmm. but we were all outside as if that just sort of, you know, no, just, you know what I mean? Now, now that the fact that I had 35 people in my house, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because we were outside, you know, that doesn't, that's just not, that's not that true. sounds like super spreader to right? me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's exactly what happens. And that's exactly what we've seen as you watch the news. It's these things where you have these large gatherings of people who just feel like, you know, mm-hmm. well, I, I didn't have a fever when I went in there, so I'm good. And, you know, I'm asymptomatic, but you could be a carrier. And now you're in these super spreader environments, you know, these, these college institutions, super spreader environments. And now everybody's in this position where they're freaking out about yes. the holidays, right? You've been at college all this time, partying, doing all these things. Yes. Well, now you got to go home to your dad who's high risk. And people are freaking, well, how are we going to, how do we sort of uh, navigate this, this sort of, th- this position now? You know, do you quarantine two weeks before you come home? Do you get a test before you come home? Do you get another test as soon as you get home? Do you quarantine when you right? Like what what is how do you even sort of really work around all of this? Because more than likely you've been exposed and you're gonna you're gonna bring that back home to an elderly mm-hmm. parent or grandparent or want to or try to figure out now how do we how do we get together for the holidays now to celebrate, you know, when you know, your son has been out doing yeah. whatever, <laughs> living his best yeah. life. Well, I, guess right? so, so, I know um, UMBC, my university, we are, um, they are not allowing any more face-to-face classes after Thanksgiving break. So, it, it, you know, most students are not on campus anyway, it, and most of the learning is virtual. But for a few students, they, you know, for different reasons, they need to be on campus. Well, after Thanksgiving, they are, there, there will be no more face-to-face, you know, classes. So everything goes uh, virtual, will be virtual, even for those students that have to stay on campus. And uh, because they're, of course, you know, trying to uh, get ahead of the ball in, in terms of, well, so that nobody brings anything uh, back because we know uh, what tends to happen over the holidays. People go home or people go to other people's homes because they don't have a home to go to. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just ripe for all kinds of uh, problems, uh, especially, you know, in a on a school campus. And you were speaking um, earlier about the difference between Tennessee and New Jersey and I just last night, I was running into Target and I just, I was in my head. I don't know. I was just in my head. I was walking in the store. The security guard stops me and says, hey, do you have a mask? And I'm like, and I, I completely forgot. I just, I, and I was, I panicked and I, I turned around. And the doors, they don't open, you know, when you go back, because I came through the entrance. And so the so I was standing, I was kind of panicking. And then I turned had to turn back around and go into the store. And, you know, they offered me a mask, but there there was definitely that sense of dread, like, oh my God, I I, I don't, you know, that you know, mm-hmm. this is just something 
uh, really, really bad. But no, they you you weren't even going to get into the store. And of course, we have heard these awful stories of people. When you talk about essential workers, right? Security officers who are just doing their job. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, put your mask on, or do you have a mask? Can we offer you a mask? And mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. or someone, you know, just taking that in a really bad way and attacking those people. Um, and we, we've seen those stories and, and that's frightening, I think, for a lot of us, um, and, you know, that we're, that's the, a part of our kind of these, we're working from home now as professionals that we're also in this moment where at any moment, these very important, uh, frontliners, essential people that, in truth, right, they are doing that job because they need to do that job. They have to do that job. Um, if we think about opportunities available, and they're the ones who are are literally risking their lives um, because they don't know. The, the security guard didn't know how I would respond uh, and didn't know why I was coming into the store without a mask on. Not just, I, I mean, hey, Tammy's just being, you know, just in her own you know, whatever, she's not even thinking, they don't know if we, what my intentions are. And mm-hmm. that's scary. I think, and so I think one of you mentioned the whole issue with mental health, right? That's one of the ways that, you know, it begins to play on our mental health. It begins to, you know, you know, I'm cautious, they're cautious, we're all paranoid. And it just makes it uh, right for all kinds of um, issues that, didn't really even need to have to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, uh, one, I guess, community that I really, um, so one, one of the things about me and, and practice, one of my, my focus is going to be on mm-hmm. uh, men's health, you know, first and foremost. I think it's important that um, as, a, as a man of color, to really be out there and be an advocate for men, you know, and really push for men to get to the doctor, right? Yeah, that's, a, that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, the, the other sort of target audience really for me is the youth. I think, you know, adolescence is a key time, especially in, in this time of COVID, right? You think about all the kids who mm-hmm. miss prom. You think about um, you know, athletes who maybe didn't get get an opportunity to play out their senior years. You think about all these things that go into, you know, just in general. Even when when shut when they're shutting down schools, you know, a lot a lot of uh, adolescents, your identity mm-hmm. is is with your friends and that social and, and, and being social, and then you know, being in, forced into a position where you lose that. Right. You see, it's, uh, you know, a lot of these adolescents mm-hmm. feel like they lose their identity. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not me unless I'm hanging out with this particular group of friends and we're doing X, Y and Z activities like we always do. You know, social media does a little bit to keep people connected, but it's not the same as being with your friends and going and doing those things in person, you know, with your friends. You know, even even if you think about school as being even a safe place. For a lot of people, right? That's their escape from their realities. A lot of time is being in school and being with a certain group of mm-hmm. people at school to get away from what's going on maybe at home for them or, you know, their neighborhoods or whatever it is. 
and you sort of lose that. Now, now you there's this higher level of stress, anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, maybe some some of us as parents and or, or as guardians sort of just chalk it up to adolescence and not really take the time to really talk to them and make sure that they're okay and that their mental health is okay mm-hmm. um, in these times. And, you know, because I know a lot of times when we think about mental health, you're thinking about like, you know, the, the, the adult person who's severely depressed or bipolar person or somebody who's struggling with, you know, addiction or something like that. But you're forgetting about, you know, adolescents. You're forgetting about working moms who have to come home but mm-hmm. to be at home now and forced to be to work and and be a day um, uh, a babysitter, you know, and be the teacher now. You know what I'm saying? So you know you forget about those people and how how are they actually dealing with mm-hmm. all of this that's going on? Um, so you know that that those things are very important things to really focus in on and talk about um, in in the space of COVID right right now. I so appreciate the time that you all um, have, you know, given me and and sharing with the audience on this particular issue. I know that um, it's a sacrifice. I mean, we, we can hear it in the background. It's a sacrifice to, to be doing this and and again i i i have my my daughter um she's tied up somewhere downstairs in the basement like you know and so that she will not come and uh her, her mouth is taped it's it's all very um all very you know kind of strange happening here <laughs> but but no like yeah the, these so i i recognize and appreciate uh your willingness to do this the time and your thoughtfulness, uh, the thoughtfulness of your answers. Uh, and I know I have learned just a ton. And so I'll ask, you know, if there's any last things that any last comments you all want to share and we'll end on that. Um, I think, thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to speak with you. My husband and I really do take to heart um what's going on right now in the current pandemic and also thank you for your patience as well as to your listeners for um, having our entire family on the call this evening um i think definitely also on a more serious note is just really imploring your listeners to take this virus very seriously we never came out of fully Mm -hmm. what was projected to be the first wave of COVID 19 and we are kind of already in Uh, the second wave and it's not looking very hopeful for what will be happening if things continue on the route that they are Uh, so really please do your due diligence like I mentioned earlier the distinction between Mm -hmm. your social circle and your physical circle try your best (laughs) to remain within your physical circle and those who are considered the most essential closest to you um, I have sorry I have relatives that I love with like all parts of me that I can't see, even that live in the state, same state of New Jersey that I don't mm-hmm. see routinely and I'm not going to push to see them. Um, and even in this holiday season, just changing a lot of how we approach life because there is, it's one thing to celebrate a night, but a lifetime without an individual um, has is even more detrimental yes. than missing one holiday. And then also too, um, what's happening with younger people 
you know, we talked a little bit about this and being knowledgeable and my husband spoke quite clearly about, you know, the idea of universities and campuses. I have to tell you in the city of Baltimore that most of the cases are in younger people. Um, And this goes against what we previously were told in the beginning of the pandemic that, you know, younger people fight it off. You know, we're seeing more and more cases nationwide of people who are younger mm-hmm. um, dying of COVID-19, children included. So just making sure that as for audience members that are younger and I consider younger, mm-hmm. I have a wider range for the scope of younger. I'd like to think like 35, mm-hmm. 40 on and downward, because these are people sometimes that feel like I'm healthy. I'm OK. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then, of course, our much younger people like children in college age. Uh, populations, please do your part to protect yourselves because people are dying in your age cohort of this virus. Um, so, but thank you very, very much for giving us the chance yes. to speak with you this evening. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 males, husbands, <laughs> take care of your lady. You know, to make sure, make sure you checking in. You know, because you know, as I've learned through our marriage, through our our relationship, you know, really. Your home is the woman. When they tell you happy wife, happy life, it's real. You know what I mean? So make sure that, you know, your lady is okay. Check in. I'm learning how to do that better. Uh, you know, I think I think that the uh, pandemic has really forced a lot of people to take a look at their relationships um, and really see, you know, how do we, are we really valuing each other truly? Right, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, people forgetting that divorce rates were already high. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was, you know before the pandemic it was like 50 percent divorce rate. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I want to see the numbers. You know, in in the coming years of what does that look like now with a pandemic when peace, people are forced into situations where they have to be. Um, together more often or whatever have you or you know forced into a mm-hmm. position where they have to deal with certain issues you know and you know, adding to the strain of just regular life now now you have to really sit down and take a look at your relationship as yeah. added stress if you will so you know men make sure that you really taking care of your lady for real for real you know a lot of you know, communicate with her a lot of us men probably don't know how to do that very well, but this is an opportunity to learn, you know, and I truly do encourage that. And I'm speaking because I am learning. I have learned and I'm continuing to learn uh, with my lady. So what? And don't you be scared of therapy. It. You better Ooh. say it. I'm just saying. Wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Slow down. Wait, wait. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. You know what I mean? Hey, look, look. Don't look. What I'm saying, like for real, people. And, and I'm, I'm, yes. I'm a medical professional, you know. And and all through my training, we push therapy on people all the time. But meanwhile, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at home. Like what therapy? That's that's for weirdos. You know what I mean? But but for real, that's for right. real. Don't be scared of it. I mean. It does wonders. It, there's there's really no harm in it, even if you do it one time, just to That's really right. help you unpack some things. And, and and I'm also speaking to myself because we are due, you know, for a nice session. Just just to, just because of all the stress of 2020, just to have a session, just to kind of talk about you know things, um, and have somebody really lead that conversation. But 
you know, men don't don't be scared. That's right. Damn, he doesn't make you laugh. You know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna get that PlayStation for Christmas next. I see it. It just went out. Yeah. Okay, Sylvia. All right, you got some. PlayStation. You got you got somebody to play with those two right behind you, right there, right there. Thank you so so much. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Have a good day. Weren't they great? I told you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Victor and Dr. Celia, for your time. Thank you, little ones, for sharing your, your mom and dad with us. They uh, brought so much to our attention. And even the comments at the end um, really helped to recenter us in thinking about our families our loved ones checking in, right? That we need to do a check-in because these have been difficult days and seemingly we will have more to come. So I was so honored to have taught with them. And I know that you all, you know, enjoyed this and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I know I did. Uh, It was absolutely wonderful. So we're going to bring this to a close. I'm I'm going to move into our prayer. And I look forward to coming back for our second season in the weeks ahead. All right. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We lift you up. We honor you. You are so good and so kind, even in difficult situations, Lord. We bless you and we honor you because, Lord God, everything that you do is what it's supposed to be. And we accept that. But, Father, we pray now for those of us who are dealing with the difficulties and the challenges that COVID-19 presents to us, Lord, that this is not anything that we planned for. We could not have imagined this, Lord God, if, if we had thought of how many different ways this year would have turned out. This would not have been anything that any of us would have conjured up. So, Lord, we are asking that you help us, Lord God, help us emotionally, help us mentally. And Father, we ask that you help us physically, that you keep us safe, Lord. Those of us that are still here, Lord God, we are hearing information, Lord God, that this is going to be a very difficult winter, that uh, flu season is going to be difficult, that uh, we are entering 
the next stage, if we ever got out of the first stage, that there are so many things, Heavenly Father, that we should be anticipating and expecting as we move from 2020 into 2021. And so, Lord God, there are some things we need you to do. We need your protection, Lord. But we need, Lord God, for you to get us through this season. We need, Lord God, for you to encourage us during this difficult time, Lord God. Some of us have lost friends and loved ones. Some of us have lost family members because of this virus. Some, Lord God, are still not even sure that it's real. Lord God, we can't do it in our human selves to make uh, others understand what's at stake. But we know that you can. We know that you have the heart of the king in your hand and that you can mold it and shape it in any, any way that you want. And so we're asking, Lord, that our leadership give us good, sound um, advice as to what to do, Father God. Uh, advice, Lord God, <clears throat> instructions, Lord God, that can be trusted and that we can use to help us get through this very difficult time. We're asking, Lord God, for, that you heal the hearts of those that have lost those loved ones, Lord God, that you come in right now and encourage them, Father God, to, because this is unexplainable. We, it's unexplicable. We don't know, and we don't really have the words, Lord, but we know that you can provide comfort in ways that we can't, that you can comfort those that are in need and that are lost because their hearts are broken. And so we're asking, Lord, that you heal the brokenhearted. We're asking, Lord God, that you uh, touch the minds of those who are dealing with depression. And they were already dealing with seasonal depression, Lord. But now with COVID, it's even worse. And we're asking, Lord, that you uh, shower down your grace and mercy on those of us, Lord God, who want to receive it because we need it in the name of Jesus. I'm asking even now, Lord, that you bless everyone that has sacrificed time to be a part of this podcast, to listen to the podcast, to do anything as it concerns this podcast. I I um, have so many people that are really instrumental in making this work, Lord God, because you have connected me to uh, folks that... You made the connection. I couldn't have even made the connection, Lord God. You brought us together. And so bless those, Lord God, anyone that has anything to do with one podcast or all of them in the name of Jesus. Lord God, bless your people who are doing the work in this season, who are continuing to fight the good fight in this season, who have not uh, slept, Lord God, on their watch. Bless them. Lord God, more importantly than that, save those who want to be saved in the name of Jesus. Anyone that wants you, Lord God, have them to call on you. Have them to say, yes, I'm a sinner, but I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is my savior. Have them move on their hearts and it's okay. Let them know that you love them. They are loved. 
and it doesn't matter what state they're in, you'll still take them. You'll still love them and you'll love them better than any person could ever love them. So Lord, I bless you because only you could have done this. Only you could have orchestrated this. And so I bless you, I honor you. And I look forward to what you're going to do in the next step, in the next round. In the name of Jesus, we give it over to you. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me. I had fun today. I hope you did too. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Pray About Everything. On Instagram, I'm Pray ABT Everything. And Facebook, Pray About Everything. You can also email me at Pray About Everything Podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I hope you're having as much fun as I'm having doing this. See you next time. Bye-bye.